It's very simple text this evening. So, so I was telling Kevin, I thought we'd just look at 2 Corinthians 10.4 this evening together. So just one verse. And we'll start there. And just look at it together. So 2 Corinthians 10.4. We pray before we read this one verse and then hear it preached. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank thank you that you have given your church this holy, inerrant, infallible word that your truth might go forward. We're thankful that you have called men to preach and to teach this word. We're thankful for the call upon Kevin's life. We pray, Father, that even as we consider this text together this evening, that we would find that we ourselves are stirred by the Word, that we are encouraged by it, and that we are strengthened by it. For your glory and for your praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians 10.4, just one verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's it. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is a wonderful evening. Uh, When we called Kevin a couple of years ago, we knew that we were getting a man of character and a man that would be we hoped would be a blessing to our congregation and uh, he has quickly become beloved by you and rightfully so uh, faithfully serves uh, faithfully loves you uh, but faithfully understands this passage and I want to look at this this evening he is a man that depends upon these things and understands it I'm going to remind us all of it this evening the very beginning here, the Apostle makes it clear that we are engaged in warfare. So the first thing that we need to know is the battle. We need to know the battle. I find it curious that many of us are surprised as we go through the Christian life and as we labor in this world that the world is opposed to us. When we should be shocked and should be surprised when the world doesn't face us with opposition. This is a fallen world, and the people of it have fallen minds and fallen hearts. And truly, in every sense of the word, as we go out as the church, we're rowing against the tide. We are going upstream. We are trying to push a ball uphill. Uh, That is the fight that we are in. Someone recently commented to me, one of the members of URC, they said that they were speaking to a member of another congregation here in town, and that member of another congregation said, oh, you go to URC, you guys are pretty serious over there. And I think our member, I'm not quite sure how our member took that, was that a compliment, or was that something that was more a a derision? I think it could be deriding, could be that... You know, we take ourselves too seriously, which I think we have all been around people like that, that take themselves too seriously. Kevin is not one of them. Uh, We could take ourselves too seriously in that we don't enjoy the good things of this life that God has given to us. 
don't enjoy cookies and cake and ice cream and but afterwards our fellowship will prove differently than that tonight we're not like that in another true sense I would hope that people would say about us that we're very serious we're serious because what we're engaged in is very serious Paul is not using the language of warfare like we do when we speak about going out to battle on the football field or the offensive and defensive line or battling in the trenches. He means it in a true sense. We're engaged in war and that we're in the midst of battle. Really, we could say that all the battles and all the wars that are fought on this earth are but shadows of what is the great warfare that is waging in the spiritual realm. And so first, we need to know the battle. Second, if we are in a war, then we need to know our position. And Kevin, you need to know your position. You're not to shy away from the fight, you're to go out, you're to meet the enemy, but battles against Goliaths are won by fighting with the spirit of David. And David didn't depend upon what the world offered him. He would not rely upon the strategies of men. He found that his strength was in the Lord. The enemy is clear. We don't battle against flesh and blood, as the apostle says. We battle against spiritualities and principalities and powers. Our battle is spiritual. But here's the struggle, right? As we're battling with that which is spiritual, is that we tend to fall into the habit and fall into the, the routine of depending on anything but the Lord Himself to accomplish what's before us. And so you need to know your position. It makes all the difference to an army in the field if the soldier knows his position. You're to depend upon the Lord. It's in your dependence upon the Lord that you are in right position. The world, it will value personality, it values learning, it values position, it values eloquence, and these are not bad things in themselves. They all have their place. And Kevin, you have all of them in spades, and so you have to especially be on guard. Personality appeals, but when we win them with personality, we win them to ourselves instead of to the Lord. Learning matters. You need to know what to communicate and how to communicate. But argument and reason can be relied upon to change minds, but you can't change hearts with it. Position helps. You have this calling. You have this place of office. But office isn't a substitute for diligence. And those that would purely follow you because you have an office as a pastor and don't love your Lord and are following your Lord, it is of very little help to them. Eloquence can be effective, but it's never changed a single life. It tickles the ear, but it leaves the heart cold. If we rely upon fleshly means rather than the Lord, we will find ourselves ill-equipped in the battle. Our ministries only have power, my dear friend, when they rely upon the Lord. That's the only time that they have power. So you know your position. Our battle is spiritual. Think about it. When Christ sent out the disciples, they were a very small band, uh, just a handful. And when He sent them out from 
Jerusalem there and to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They went there across the Mediterranean world. They went up into the Fertile Crescent and into Asia Minor and then they went over to Europe and into the lowlands of Europe and then from there went across the English Channel to the British Isles and up to that wonderful land of Scotland and then came across the Atlantic to the Americas and spread across the Pacific Ocean and across the Pacific Islands and down to Australia and into the heart of Africa. And there will be those on that last day who are gathered from every tongue, tribe, and nation before His throne. And you think it started with just that, that little band, just a handful of disciples who were sent out. And what's fascinating is that the Lord didn't send them out with academic degrees. He didn't send them out with wealth. He didn't send them out with weapons. He didn't send them out with political power. He didn't send them out with riches. So how did they accomplish all this? Just that little band. He sent them out by His Word and by His Spirit. They were dependent upon their God as they went out. We're often so silly. Whatever we do for the sake of the kingdom will all be accomplished by God. It's through us, but it's by God. We're so silly. We know our limitations in the physical world, but often wink at them in the spiritual world, thinking that we can do things of our own strength and that will affect God's kingdom purposes. We know our limitations in the physical world. If I was tonight to say, as a way of celebrating tonight, that I was going to make sure that Kevin and I both sprouted hair on the top of our head, that would be a sentiment our wives might enjoy, but it would be laughable because you would say, that's crazy. You can't cause hair to grow on your head. You can't make a tree produce fruit. You can't make the winter from coming here in mid-Michigan. You can't stop the Tigers from losing last night as much as we wish it and hope it and would want it to be. Because we know that there are physical limitations. We know that there are certain things that you and I can't accomplish in the physical realm. And yet we turn to the spiritual realm where we have even less knowledge. We have even less power. We have even less authority, if you will. And we think that somehow that we can accomplish things there without being dependent upon God. It's just silly. We cannot make a heart of stone a heart of flesh. We can't lead a person to repentance. We can't give the gift of faith. We can't make someone fall more in love with Jesus. We can't help someone turn from their sin that has gripped them. We can't do it. Not with our children, not with a member of the church, not with a neighbor, not with a co-worker, not with a stranger. We can't do it. It is always His work. Yes, through us, but it's His work. And so we remain dependent upon Him. Only God can do the work that needs to be worked. And so we rely upon Him. Third, that means that you must know your weapons. If it's a spiritual fight, you need to employ spiritual weapons. 
If you're dependent, then you need to rely upon that which He provides. So above all, brother, you have to be a man of prayer. You don't dare make any plans. You don't dare establish any purposes. You don't dare preach any sermons without praying. And then once you preach that sermon, then you go right back to praying. And as those people go home, that is being applied. And through the week, you're praying that they would apply it. Amen of prayer. Our battle is not with physical strongholds, Paul says. If you're attacking a fortress, and it's a physical fortress, I want a man that is ripped with muscles by my side. But if I'm attacking something that's spiritual, I want a man that is worn out on his knees and he's ripped with humility. Understands that he's dependent upon the Lord and praying. Once heard a story about a, a pastor that was taking over a new pastorate and he was moving into the office on that first week of becoming a pastor at this church and he went into his office and it had all been cleared out and he was moving all of his stuff in and as he moved in, he noticed that in the corner of one of the rooms there was just this worn out piece of carpet. And he found himself getting a little flustered and maybe even angry, thinking, why didn't this church prepare for me as I came? And they could have at least welcomed me by making my office a little nicer when I showed up. And so he went out to his secretary and he said to her, I would like you to come in here. And she came in and he pointed to the spot in the carpet and he said, why is that wore out? And I find that unacceptable. And she said to him, well, she said, I'll tell you why it's wore out. She said, that's where the previous pastor knelt every morning. And she says, I find it quite acceptable. It's a man that knew that his entire ministry was dependent upon the Lord. And he was going to rely upon the weapons of his Lord. And so he prayed. A praying man. Be a man of prayer. Be a man of the Word. And the resurrected Christ appeared to Peter there at the end of the Gospel of John. And Peter is getting that threefold restoration after that threefold denial of the Lord Jesus. It's a... I think one of the more fascinating scenes in all the scriptures. Peter is asked of the Lord, do you love me? And he's asked three times. And each time Peter says, yes, Lord, I, I love you. And Jesus' response each time then is, then feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. That is, if you love me, you will love my people. And how do you love my people? You love them by feeding them. A sheep. And they need to be nourished. And there's only one nourishment that is sufficient for them, and that's the eternal Word of God. So you feed them. As a minister, you're called by God to serve God by serving God's people. And so you love Him by loving His people, by feeding His people. I do wish, just thinking about that, I wish I could guarantee that whether your ministry would be a success if you just depend upon those two things, if you pray, and if you minister the Word of God faithfully and persistently. 
There's not always a direct one-to-one -one correlation between faithfulness and success. Some ministers labor, labor faithfully for decades and may only plant the seeds of the harvest for the next minister to reap. Some men will labor for decades only to create that kind of superstructure, that foundation under the earth that the next minister will see the cathedral rise from. So it can't be guaranteed, but I can guarantee this. And as you rely upon these means, as a general rule, it's the only effective ministry in this fallen world. And so you measure success as our Lord measures success. Your success is not determined by how many think you're a good pastor. It's not determined by how many admire or celebrate your gifts or how much learning is known or your accomplishments recognized. It's not even the number of people that show up at this church because you welcomed them and they appreciate your ministry. It's not even the number that will show up at your funeral someday and say, He impacted me. That's not the measure. Ministers who have done very little for Christ can have large churches and large ministries and much applause. You know this. Success will be shown in glory because it's spiritual. Sinners converted, hearts changed, faith fanned into a flame, affection stirred, truth gripped, sin demolished, Satan sent fleeing. People treasuring Christ, loving Him more than life itself, adoring the gospel, laboring for holiness. None of these can you accomplish in your strength, and none by earthly means. But all of these you can accomplish by His strength and by His means. And this is what a holy minister of the gospel longs for and aims for, and he will be satisfied with nothing less. Finally, know yourself. You're in the fight. You're not above the fight. You're not an officer that sits off the battlefield in the back in a safe tent. You're a soldier yourself. And so you need to remember that you're in the fight. And your regiment's effectiveness and safety depends upon your own personal fight that is your own holiness. A God, we know, can choose to use any person He desires. He spoke through a donkey. But you know and I know that it's most often and mostly true that the Lord doesn't use the most knowledgeable, the most gifted or the most talented, but the most holy. A man who loves Christ. Who loves Christ more and more every day who can say, I don't love Him yet with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but that is what I labor for every single day. And I'm growing in it. There is truly a power unmatched in ministry that belongs to a man of consistent holiness. And so you must fight. Not just for those you serve, but for your own soul. You tend to your own garden. So you seek to find Christ more lovely every day. You seek to delight in Him more every day. You chase after Him with all of your strength. And you'll be of more service to Him and to His people. And you know this. You just have to keep reminding yourself of this.
George Whitfield, that famous 18th century evangelistic preacher, he once commented, other men may preach the gospel better than I do, but no man may preach a better gospel than I do. He understood that there's no better gospel because there is no better Savior. Benjamin Franklin, who had a fascinating relationship with George Whitfield, he, Benjamin Franklin, of course, an unbeliever, but loved to listen to Whitfield preach and would often go to hear him preach. There was a man who once approached Benjamin Franklin and he asked Franklin, he said, Why do you go to hear him preach the gospel? I thought you didn't believe it. And Franklin replied, I don't believe it, but he does. And so he saw in Whitfield a man that not only could say that this is the best possible gospel, but he saw a man that actually believed it and lived it. It was his heartbeat. And Franklin was drawn to that. People are drawn to that. Others can't help but notice. So Kevin, my dear friend, the Christian never graduates from the school of Christ. No matter how much you grow in Him, learn of Him, satisfy yourself with Him, you need more of Him. You know that about yourself. May He be your chief delight. May He become more and more your chief delight. And may that shine through you as you minister to us. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful that there is no better gospel that can be preached than that which is given to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, your very Son. He who came into this world to live and to die, who was resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven who even now sits at your right hand forevermore and intercedes for us. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you that he continues to minister in our midst by his Spirit. And we're thankful that we have evidence of that this evening. We thank you that you continue to call men to faithful service in preaching the gospel. And we thank you for the man that you've called here in Kevin Phipps. We pray, Father, that you will continue to minister to us through him, that you would bless his ministry among us, and that he would have that success that only you can grant, that which is spiritual and everlasting. May he ever look to you in dependence. May he look to you in prayer. May he look to you in your word. And may you equip him for the good service that is before him. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.